Hello, my name is Tanai and I'm a women's intimacy and empowerment coach. For years, I tried to heal what I thought was commitment phobia, and I realized that there's actually no such thing. This podcast is an opportunity to have conversations about what gets in the way of us creating real intimacy, and how can we have more deep and vulnerable connections in our relationships. This is Commitment Phobe. Hello, everybody. I am so excited to have Brianna and Blake here on the podcast today. Uh, They were facilitators and leaders of a program that I did exactly a month ago. It was a spiritual, uh, yeah, I know, guys, a month ago, spiritual (laughs) spiritual sexual shamanic training with the International School of Temple Arts. And it was one of the most powerful, liberating experiences of my life. Like I left, yeah, I left thinking this is one of my favorite weeks of my life. You know, like that that says a lot. They're high-fiving for those who are listening to this. Yeah, there's so much to say about what this is all about, but I will just say that what I got from it is learning what it really means to feel and to feel something at volume 10, not a volume like three, which is what I was used to thinking that, you know, emotions are expressed that. And then learning how to be more authentically connected to others and myself um, sexually and relationally. And part of that was learning all these ancient rituals that we dropped into. And I just gained like a massive uh, trust in myself that I didn't have before. Um, And just to speak to who Brianna and Blake were to me, wow, they just showed so many faces of themselves, so many aspects and and versions of themselves in this training while exuding so much power and holding of others that, you know, it was was mind-blowing. It was like the kind of leader that I would like to be, you know? Blake really showed just this fluidity in, in his masculine and feminine and, and his power and his softness. And Brianna could just drop into an emotion like so quickly, you know? Yeah, I'm very excited to have them here today and have them speak a little bit about open relating and creating love in a relationship and sustaining that love and, and authenticity. So yeah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you yeah, so much. It's going to be so much fun. So tonight, first, I just, I want to say that I'm absolutely moved to hear your experience. I got chills. My heart feels like it's expanding as I listen to you. Mm, and that's a big part of um, why we are here. I mean, not just here with you and speaking to this podcast, but really, I mean, a reason that I became a facilitator for ISTA, the International School of Temple Arts, is because I see it as one of the spaces where we can make such a big difference to a large group of people in seven days. And seven days for some people feels like a lot. Like I acknowledge that that is a lot of time to take away from life and to travel and to be in a training environment and for diving really, really deep. But it is truly what lights me up. Like hearing you reflect on this put me right back in my purpose of exactly why I'm a coach and facilitator for sacred sexuality. Yeah. Uh, likewise to both of you, when I first came to ISTA, I had one of the best weeks of my life to date. And I was just so struck on that first, with that first experience that even though an intense week was happening, it went by so fast and I was so opened and expanded. I, w- I just knew, I was like, this is the path for me. 
the best work I've ever seen. It's having the broadest impact on, on the most number of people and it, with a beautiful weaving of ancient, as you said, and, and modern teachings as well. I came away from it feeling like this is the training that the whole world needs. This is the experience of healing and self-discovery and sovereignty and sexuality and freedom that that I think truly would raise all of humanity up. Mm. So I have not been able to put it down since then, three years ago. Um, and while I've been uh, getting deeper into the ISTA field, I've also been developing myself as a relationship and intimacy coach, focusing a lot of my energy on men's work as well, and both creating and facilitating for a couple different programs um, that I'm quite excited about. So aside from from facilitating and leading at ISTA, what do you guys do? And I know you guys work together. So tell us a little bit about what you do together. Work-wise or for fun? Work, let's start. Let's start with work-wise. What's your mission, work-wise? Um, so I am um, a practitioner and a trainer for Intuitive Tantra, and that's a very specific company. But I see clients both for in-person sessions, doing all kinds of different tantric, tantric body work and embodiment sessions, um, really focusing on an access point to opening up emotions, trusting the body, letting the body guide in the communication of decision-making and identifying passions and really opening up to the fullest experience of life. And I started an online community, Sacred Sexuality Rising. It's been about four and a half years now, and it's a pretty thriving community of nearly 9,000 people um, online and uh, through Facebook. And although Facebook groups is not necessarily my favorite way to build community, it was what was really important to me at the time. So four and a half years ago, as I was coming into leadership around sacred sexuality, I wanted to have a community-based space that wasn't about building my brand, that wasn't that was really more focused on community can be here, support each other, interact in conversations that are going to take people deeper than what you typically find, I would say in like mainstream social media settings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I did similar training um, through ISTA and have built myself a, a practice of sacred sexuality, like hands-on work as well. So one of the really exciting things that Brianna and I have been able to do together recently is uh, two practitioner sessions, which is beautiful, bringing a bit of masculine, feminine lead and follow kind of energies into the space can help a seeker really open to an even deeper experience. So that's been beautiful. Mm -hmm. And then our conversations of late have been spinning into a number of different creations. Um, two highlights are around polarity and keeping the charge and the, the new relationship energy going for a very long time in a relationship and a program for discovering your sacred purpose by way of sex magic. So we can talk a little bit more about each of those. One of the yeah. things that I wanted to say about about the first idea of doing work together is that although I'm in, I was born um, female identified and Blake was born male identified, we both definitely consider ourselves to be, I mean, queer. Yes, absolutely, without a doubt. But just because I'm in this body, oftentimes I'm still taking the masculine role if we work with clients. Not necessarily oftentimes, but like we switch pretty interchangeably between those those places where Blake can drop into holding the presence of the divine feminine while I'm more standing in like masculine warrior. Mm -hmm. And we feel into that pretty intuitively based on who we're working with. 
And I think that having a pretty solid foundation of being coaches and body workers separately has allowed us to flow really in a beautiful way together and to do some nice weaving. And then working with couples too, like there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of beautiful things about being able to do work with two practitioners and a couple. I've been working with couples for years Mm -hmm. and it's actually one of my favorite places to coach is to really dive into relationship dynamics and help people come to their own resolutions around what's missing in a relationship or um, yeah, or what they really want. But then being able to do that kind of work together is so much fun. Like we're having so much fun with it. And so our passion is aligned. There's always energy for it. There's no real like drain sure. in that. And on any, any given weekend together or separately, one of us is probably running a puja somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And I've had a couple of male guests or, or um, male body guests that talk about being in the masculine. Um, and, and so this is so interesting and, and what I find interesting about you guys that you're teaching people really how to hold both, right? And, and not have that be a threat to the relationship, which is what is such a, such a big conversation these days. Like for, for, you know, for some people it's like, don't be in your masculine, like that's going to ruin the relationship or don't be too much in your feminine. So yeah, it's interesting how you guys and then, um, just and talk then we're about denying that. a part of ourselves if we start to get into that thinking. So some of that thinking is directed towards work around polarity, like how to keep the polarity alive in a relationship. Now, one thing that ISTA really focuses on is how to be very, very integrated, mm-hmm. and so how to develop your own masculine, your own feminine, marry these energies together so that you're supporting yourself. So if I'm having an internal conflict, for instance. A lot of times what I'm recognizing is that one part or the other part or the many parts that are inhabited in the archetypes that exist inside of Brianna are at war with one another. So like my masculine perhaps is being overprotective of my feminine. My feminine's just trying to flow and be creative. So then I start asking these, I'm like, okay, now that I've identified how these parts of myself feel, what do they need? And who do they need support from inside of myself? So that's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, would you add anything to that? I mean, you're, you're touching on the beautiful symmetry between like relationship dynamics as they exist in our relationships with other humans are the same as the relationship dynamics that we have within the, the same patterns can, can occur, the same toxicities, the same withholding. Um, and then so, yeah, you're, I'm smiling big because this is a lot of what our love relationship has been based on has been super supportive and even holding up kind of on high as of primary importance, each other's individual inner relationships mm. um, and really like supporting each other and nurturing those relationships first and foremost, because outer love is really based on that. Um, right. so was- yeah. For personally, for me, like a, a big shift that happened in my neediness for a partner is to actually turn in, like turn towards my inner masculine and ask, what do I need minor masculine to say to my inner feminine? You know, there is that element of being held and being like, it's okay, baby, I got you, you know? And just just saying that to myself instantly takes me out of that space of like, oh, I just need someone to be there. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that, that so resonates. So a lot of that is the work of the integration in the internal place. And I like to look at it as integrate internally first and then go back and start looking at the polarity dynamics that can occur with others, whether that's in a romantic or intimate partnership, 
um, or sexy play friend, or even dynamics with siblings and with parents and with communities and bosses, you know, there's polarity there too. And so when that can be identified, then what I ask myself, like a polarity question that I ask myself is, okay, who can I be in this situation to match the energy that's coming at me? To dance with. To dance with it. Yeah. 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 So, and I mean, to match it, not in a war, right. but actually in love making. Yeah. Right. How can I make love in this situation? Even if that's with my boss and knowing, I don't, you know, I work for myself, but, <laughs> but I'm often in dynamics where I'm working with organizers, collaborators, collaborators yeah. colleagues, and I, and I want to know <laughs> how can I make love to this situation in this moment to create an end result of whatever the intention is for the setting and situation. Mm. That, that's so beautiful. What a different way of looking at it. And I really just think back to the community of women that I'm from. And I'm sure you know, like Mama Gina or like Alison Armstrong, you know, these, these women out there who are spreading the don't don't be in your masculine don't emasculate and i love and i love what you just mentioned like this word integration like it's not about stepping into the other pole and ignoring the one you know that they're they're just so they're they're both um important and both need to be taken into account you're highlighting the distinction i think between range and roles you know what, what is this teaching more this another word for integration is range like how much of your being can you inhabit how many different energies can you inhabit at once or in any given moment whereas Alison Armstrong and and her more masculine countertypes counterparts like David Data and and that lineage as well like they have beautiful teaching around uh essence right the, most people born in a woman's body have this kind of essence and so forth and they're not wrong but i think it's it's a kind of a blunt tool um to to speak about it that way because it has made a lot of people interpret it as this is my role this is where i belong this is where i should this is the energy i should inhabit maybe at the exclusion of all the others which i think actually narrows the change mm-hmm. and breeds and, and judgment makes, yeah it breeds judgment yeah it makes them feel wrong if they're you know, being a leader in a moment when someone else isn't or when they want to be in surrender and be held instead of having to hold the other all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I actually, I really get the point to which a lot of this research started to come through. Like I really admire this work around polarity. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've had some of my biggest teachings, particularly around learning how to soften and really how to shape shift from moment to moment. It's Mm -hmm. important that I hold the masculine, like, for me, for my community, when I'm holding a group of 50 people in a room that are going through deep emotional processing, like I really need to have my center and have my sword in my hand to be able to, to create a, a safe space for people to go big and deep and chaotic if they need to. And to like tap into things that have been buried really deeply in themselves and know that they can trust me. And to, um, to really establish that. It's been super important to me to learn how to soften and to be in the feminine that is perhaps more in the maiden, to be able to like tap back into archetypes of myself in the feminine that I've pushed away over the years. And 
then there's weeks that I'm like, okay, I've really got that. I'm really in surrender, but like, I can't get anything done. I can't make any decisions. Like I'm just like such a goo ball that I am like, I just need to sit here and feel my feelings for the day, you know? And that's, that's, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> But then also being able to like get my communication on point so that I can let people know that I'm in this space feels pretty important. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like the, this idea of swinging to the other side of the pendulum. So you know how to come back to the middle. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All about about what the moment calls for. And, And, you know, the dance that we can do with each other is in response to, well, what's going on in your moment and how can I meet that as well? Um, so the days when you are a goo ball, I can <laughs> tell you what to do. <laughs> I love that. And it's, it's one of my, it's one of my favorite things that happens in a training setting, particularly if I've been holding a certain role for the first few days, and then we have some more free flowing time with community and suddenly, you know, I can Blake can like pick me up and just put me place, you know, like I can go into the softness and the surrender. It's one reason that I love being in training spaces together is that I have more, I have like a more direct access point into allowing myself to be a goo ball. Even if it's for really restorative. Even if it's for time. It's super restorative for me. Super restorative. Mm, That's so good. Well, now that we're like transitioning to your relationship, let's talk about open relating. Um, this is the first time that I have anyone talk about open relating on the podcast. So why don't you guys just take the reins and tell us what it is? And um, yeah, let's start there. And then we'll we'll dive we'll dive deeper in there. Okay, from the top, uh, open relating is a term to describe any number of relationship structures where the say the the main hallmark of them is that they're not exclusive to having other sexual and romantic partners in your life. Uh, So we share a sexual romantic connection, but we're also free to share those with other people uh, insofar as we want to. That might be the most general way I could name it. I love it. Yeah. I was going to start by also saying that for for both of us, open relating is a spiritual practice. Oh, tell us more. Um, so, so we'll touch on that. I think at some point, yeah, let's come back to that. Yeah. I'll come back to that. But I wanted to kind of give that as an overarching umbrella as, because that's part of how both of us have found our way to open relating, but then also to the dynamic that the two of us are in. It's a great segue. Like something Brianna and I think have in common is that long ago we found this other way of living open relating and it called to us so strongly, not just on like, oh, that's a good idea level, but like on a heart-centered, sex-centered orientation level that we just held that as a North Star and kept doing whatever relational work we needed to do and inner work we needed to do along the way to bring our actual reality in line with this set of values and codes, if you want to call them that, or perspective on love that we felt in our bodies. And been a more than a decade long road for both of us with a, a fair amount of wreckage in our wake uh separately, se- like before, separately. Yeah. who so so when you say this was a new i'd love to hear before you you continue who who were you before or how was um love and relationships for you before separately 
open relating. It was pretty cookie cutter. It was pretty much monogamous, you know, double income, no kids, saving money to buy a house and talking about when we're going to get pregnant. And that was Blake's experience in his past life. Yeah, a couple of those in a row, but one that was like a decade prior to poly, you know, mm -hmm. prior to being open. And mine was, you know, somewhat the same. I was often in a partnership, often in a relationship. It's hard for me actually to remember a time that I was not in some kind of open relating. Like from the time that I was eight, I knew that I was bisexual. Yeah. <laughs> from the time that I was nine, I was like, yeah, but I like them and them and them and them, you know, like, uh, yeah, I felt very poly in my being. Same. And so, and I'm also using these terms, open relating. I just said poly. So for people that are listening, polyamory, ethical non-monogamy, consensual non-monogamy, each have slightly different connotations, um, but I'm going to probably use them interchangeably. I was more on like my two to three year relationships um, from the time that I was in high school, but then often in between that, when I'd have breaks, I was dating someone else. And so in some ways I was like, yeah, I have definitely been poly for a lot of my existence. I didn't have words for it until I was about 22. And someone handed me what was then known as, and maybe continues to still be known as the polyamory Bible. The ethical slut. The ethical slut. Mm. I put it in my hands after talking about the types of relationships that I was interested in having. And I was a quarter of the way through the book and I was crying my eyes out because I had never felt so heard or seen or met. I didn't even understand that there could be another way of relating. And I recognized how much shame I had been putting on myself for basically for wanting what I wanted, but also like for the cheating that I had done, you know, for the infidelity that occurred, for not trusting myself actually, mm -hmm. and not knowing that there was any alternative to kind of a conventional freedom of my sensuality and sexuality, which I also had felt pretty free as a sexual being from the time that I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. There was not a lot that got in my way as far as my sexual expression. Um, and there's a part of me that's also like quite modest and shy from time to time in my sexual expression, which I know sounds like it's almost laughable if you've seen me in my fullness of expression, but there's still a part of it that like, now what I see it as is that I'm pretty discerning in who I connect with sexually. Like I've really vetted people before I move into a deeper connection, even an intimate conversation. Mm. Yeah, and as someone who's bi, I'm, I'm sure it, it's it's like the concept of then having to pick one person is so confusing. Like it makes no sense, right? Segwayed exactly. This was a major, major hinge point for me on my journey. Being a bisexual man in a world that looks at men as, you know, I think a more polarized sexual way. It's like, which team are either straight or gay? There's nothing in between. Right, there's no way. Mm -hmm. To be partnered with somebody and married to somebody who was pretty locked into that mindset and didn't really have a lot of room for the idea that like open relating was actually a perfect solution to, in my view, both of us really getting what we wanted. But certainly for me, having access to people of all genders was something I really wanted and I couldn't you know, make it go away. So yeah, being bi or pansexual in combination with open relating, they're very good partners. Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. So that was a that was a big reason for me to just really choose it and choose out of the relationship that restricted that. And so, based on a lot of the work that we had done up 
to meeting each other. So we met in person about a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. um, but Blake had been cued into me um, <laughs> by his partner at the time, by good friends, by like a few people. Who, like they're kind of like, you, you know, this girl, she's online. Yeah, you're like, going to love her. Check her out. <laughs> check her out on social media. Yes. You know? Been, yeah, and I, I, unbeknownst to me, and I actually didn't know any of these people in person, just more wow. from my yeah, yeah. online presence, which it's very, it's very authentic online presence. But it's one of those things too, that I'm like, what? That's so weird. They, they, they had you accurately pegged for being so transparent. Yeah. Yeah. Good job. Thank you. Yeah. Became highly recommended before I met her. <laughs> <laughs> She, she had some letter letters of recommendation that she wasn't aware of. That I wasn't aware of. I know how sweet. Um, and so we we were both signed up. I joined on maybe three weeks before this started, but for a six week immersive um, community experience. And the, the temple training race seven, Hayden Temple, but done online in California. We had a cohort that gathered on this piece of forest land. Beautiful. Yeah. In the middle of nowhere. Wild, wild rugged, cold. <laughs> um, and and yeah, we we like spotted each other and started walking towards each other. <laughs> there was uh, there was music playing in the background, and all the forest creatures came to listen to us. It was really beautiful. Our not exactly there was a lot of there's a lot of warmth and curiosity when we first met and there was also like a, okay well let's uh let's sniff each other out and get to know each other and see see what happens and so for the first we joke a little bit that i gave a sniff test and i was like yeah, six, six months, six months. Let's trickle he'll back. be ready in six months <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> I was, yeah. I was there with my um, partner that I was living with at the time. She and I were sharing a cabin with another couple. And a lot of my intention for being at that event and community experiment was to work on myself, actually. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's interesting that I wanted to live in community, but kind of separate myself from community. And starting a romantic, intimate connection was definitely not what I wanted to do at the time. And for whatever reason, I got this intuitive hit of like, stay here, stay here, stay here. Okay, come closer. Okay, stay here. Okay, come closer. Like and I didn't, you know, I, I, I really, and I was trusting that. I was trusting that like a, a, that kind of connection at that point in time for me, even though the community was like open and sex positive and really expressive with each other. And there was lots of love, oh, yeah. like, but we were actually just developing out of snail's pace yeah and we did something that we're both really good at we played the long game we're super we're both really good at the long game mm, what does that mean to you i'd love to hear a little bit about that hallmark in my view of one of the things that makes open relating work well is that if you feel attraction for somebody that's great and know that it's probably going to last and you don't have to act on it immediately desire and the actions that come from desire don't have to happen sequentially you can just hold your desire for a good while. And doing so is actually kind of fun and a turn on and it, you just play non-attachment to the outcomes. And you know, as you weave somebody and you see them again and again, the energy builds and grows and trust and rapport develop quite naturally. You get to see each other in various lights. And then by the time it gets close enough to where you really want to put your bodies together or you know, see where that goes, you already know the person. 
and you're not just acting on impulsive desire. Which also opens up to something that I mentioned earlier, but that I'll circle back around to, which is discernment, mm. which is something that has really allowed my nervous system to relax is to see someone, let's say it's like, I'm interested in having a sexy hookup with someone. And I'm like, that would, they'd be fun to play with, with my partner, or maybe I want to have a one-on-one -on -one connection with them. And so maybe long game for that is a few times meeting together in community situations and one or two, like, you know, deep drop-ins. But if I'm feeling really drawn to someone's energy and I'm looking to you know, maybe meet up at once a month. I mean, seriously, we thought that we were going to meet up. We were like, who knows what's going to happen here. Sure. But waiting for an extended period of time, I guess I should say not waiting for an extended period of time has often hurt others and myself. So like perhaps other, like my partners at the time have felt a little pushed aside if they were getting any intuitive hits about like, you know, maybe asking me some thoughtful questions around like, well, what are you thinking? Or what are your intentions? Or you know, here's how I'm feeling. And a lot of times out of more of a scarcity mentality, I pushed away those external opinions, both of partners and myself. And I was like, this is what I want. And I was gonna go for it. Consequences be damned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and there's been pain and then there's been healing that has occurred from that. So one of my big lessons learned is to take time and to feel it, like feel what's occurring and feel what's really building there. And and feel, and feel the impact, you know, when a connection has a lot of power and energy, it impacts everybody who knows you. And so giving some space for that to be, to be felt and integrated and checked in on if necessary. We thought we gave it enough time, but we're basically like a meteor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the chemistry between you guys is, you know, so I can't, I can't imagine. <laughs> But what, I, what I'm hearing too is that, you know, we're humans and we have like attachment, right? And so it, when, you, when you dive right in with someone, it's like the attachment takes over, the emotions take over and suddenly it feels like you can't live without that person. And then there's like codependency. And so I hear that being really supportive to also feel into your own, own like sense of sovereignty while you're getting close to someone. So there isn't that colluding, right? Of like, I can't live without you and like, I can't breathe with you. And yeah, <laughs> I can't live without you. I can't breathe with you. That was beautifully said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that one goes on a quote wall for sure. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, this podcast is called Commitment Phobe. You know, this is like what I've been working on in myself. And what happened for me is, is trusting that attraction so quickly. And then the next day being like, oh, actually, that's all it was. And then breaking someone's heart, you know, which is something that I practice at ISTA, like really feeling into that. And if, and I, if I felt like someone was like getting attached and I wasn't, then I'd actually slow it down and be like, this isn't the spot to act on this. Like, let's slow this down. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. discernment. Well That's done. it. Mm, thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well done. Um, so I love that it's called commitment phobe. I was going to, to wrap that in at one point. Oh, you laughing yeah. at me. <laughs> 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 because there's a, a part of my discernment that at times can feel a little avoidant. There's like, I have not always named um, where my avoidant attachment comes from. And it's like my protector comes in and really wants to make sure that I know exactly what I'm getting into. Mm -hmm. 
you know, like are Brianna's like, you know, I can, Im- I can imagine it talking to me and be like, are you really, you're going to, you're just going to, you're just going to do this thing. So it was six months before we, after meeting that we went on our first official ish date. And it was, I don't know, 18, 20 hours, something like that. Yeah. And, um, a nonstop one. <laughs> nonstop, just like, okay. But it was a lot of, a lot of me reassuring myself that I had actually vetted this person. They actually cared about me and I could actually let my walls down. And even with that, I feel like Blake came like totally tool belt equipped to like get in there and remind <laughs> me that like uh-huh. this was okay and this was, I mean, like just like yeah, drill. <laughs> Yeah. And like, you know, and checking in, like, can I go a little further? Can I take down another wall? With, and with consent. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> and still, this is what works in our relationship. Like when my protector walls start to come up, which now that I'm tracking these things this closely, I am really surprised at how quickly I want to put up a wall when I'm feeling sensitive, mm. you know, even to someone who I totally love and trust. And I'm now like, you know, building this really sweet home with. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's um, it's a constant learning experience, which is part of why we say that open relating. And I would really say that any relating mm-hmm. is a spiritual practice. If you lean into the edges. And what I mean by that is that certainly in open relating for almost everybody that does it, all your triggers come up eventually. Right, and those those are the edges. Those are the places inside you that haven't fully been integrated from childhood, or that still need healing from past relationships and so forth. Um, but in following those triggers down to their root, you can really bring love to the places in you that need it most. Um, and the same can be done in any relationship if people choose that orientation. The contrast that open relating has with monogamy for most people is that a lot of people. Uh, seem to choose the more traditional relationship structure so that they don't have to confront these triggers and these edges. You know, the idea of their partner choosing somebody else is a moot point if they have an agreement that it's never going to happen, regardless of whether or not one of them secretly wants to have another lover. Right? So then when there's, then there's all these secrets that cr- get created from the agreements. Um, and of course, this is I'm not trying to paint this with too broad of a brush. A lot of people very, very consciously choose monogamy and blessings to them for doing so, but it's the conscious choice that matters. Um, That being said, there are also a lot of people who are unconsciously choosing open relating, either because it's a way to mitigate their avoidance strategy or because it's a way to get their sexual variety needs met, or it's a way to compensate uh, for the lack of love and connection in one relationship by sourcing it from another all of which can just lead to disaster. I, I wonder what you guys think about this. You know, if, if one is in a monogamous relationship or any really, and you have fears that your partner is gonna do something with someone else, or you're afraid they're gonna leave you, what that's really bringing up is unresolved emotions from childhood, right? Like there's this sense of abandonment and feelings that didn't get to be fully expressed. And maybe if you take the time to just express those, then you'll get that sense of like safety within yourself that you're putting on someone else. Is that how it works? Yes. And when choosing to share feelings, fears, desires with like with a partner or with a family member, but you know, for here, for the sake, we're really talking about intimate sexual relationships. Um, 
knowing that the other person's up for that is really important. It's easy for us to come on and talk to the world about how we currently navigate things. And like Blake said, this has been 15 years for me of things that didn't work. Um, and some of that was like, I was in a certain place around communication or my partner was in a certain place around communication and we couldn't meet each other in that. So it's not like I'm going to just choose to say my feelings and my fears and my desires to my partner and the partner's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I don't even know what you're talking about or why this is happening or what we're doing or how to hold this. And usually that's when clashes happen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to get here, I had to work on a, a lifetime of codependency conditioning, which again, people can do in any relationship, but that's been a lot of what has been the work that's been presented to me through the course of my time open relating and having multiple examples of how I am in relationship, like becomes a hall of mirrors and you can really see yourself more clearly with all, all these adjacent perspectives rather than just only having the singular mirror to reflect off of. Um, and it, it led to a lot more inner, uh, like with love confrontation of my codependent patterns and rescuer behavior and caretaking and all that kind of shit. Um, yeah. Yeah. So along those lines, what are some of the ways that you practice or that you teach others how to create safety in a relationship, especially when it comes to open relating and being aware of, you know, where everyone's at? I'd say the first thing is that it's not personal. We're, and that's another, that's another pattern. And that's one of the key things I think to breaking codependent behaviors is that um, my partner's feelings in this moment. I didn't do anything wrong. It's still safe to have these conversations. Yeah. So it's like, it's not, I don't have to take anything personally in it. If your partner's upset, doesn't mean that you fucked up. Because that's going to take up the defensive wall mm -hmm. um, or, you know, knock down the defensive wall, I should say, is there's, if Blake is bringing something to me and he's saying like, Hey, I'm feeling really off and I'm not feeling connected to you. If I was like, well, what do you mean? I've done all these things. And you know, if, if I immediately am defensive about it, we're not going to get anywhere. Mm -hmm. But if I can stop and pause and listen and breathe with him and say like, thank you. Thanks. And do you, what do you need? So this come like these two questions, how do you feel? And what do you need? I think if you can hear each other in these two places, and really there's a lot of pausing and not knowing anything because the relationship is an organism that's continuously evolving over and over and over again. I can't relate to our relationship the same way that I did six months ago because that version of it has evolved into- Five times already. Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, so I'd say it's a lot of like deep listening and curiosity. Beautiful a pivot that I think you were touching on energetically is self-responsibility. Um, self-responsibility has many different layers and forms, but it's a lot of truth telling both to yourself and to your beloved, uh, doing the work, using the tools, embodying your feelings, moving the energy through your being so that you're not just holding it like a pressure keg, you know, owning when something hurts, certainly being willing to say the scary things to see what happens when your truth comes out. Uh, we have this little whip between us that your truth is healing. I'm just like reminding each other that like, no matter what the content of the truth is, it's actually brings 
our dynamic to a, a better resting state when the truth is out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so for instance, um, if I'd been withholding something, it's causing inner turmoil in me. Mm -hmm. I'm making up some story that I can't say something out loud. And then when I say it out loud and Blake holds it and it's like, wow, thank you for saying mm -hmm. that. You know? And then also, what do you need around that? Or let me, can I tell you my perspective Yeah. on this thing that you're concerned about? And I'll lay out my perspective and she's just like, oh. Oh God, it's so much better than the stories in my head. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You know, and this can work in the other direction too, of course, but. And, some... a, and a big piece of this is trust, like trusting that the person who you chose to be in relationship with, because it's always a choice, always, like it doesn't matter how long you've been together. There is a choice point that could happen every day or multiple times a day to being like, I'm actually choosing into this. Yeah. And if there's a time where we say enough times to ourselves wait, this isn't actually what I want anymore, then it's time to have a bigger conversation mm -hmm. and like, you know, possibly take some space or transition or exhale the relationship as it stands right now. It also doesn't mean it has to be over forever and ever and ever. I know that was a hard. That's okay. Uh, there's a, a point that you just brought up for me that um, perhaps another like glowing hallmark of open relating is detachment or just putting less investment in a a shared vision of a future. And like, so even though we're building home together and we have, you know, visions of doing all kinds of fun things together, we're not necessarily writing the script for the rest of our life together uh, because it doesn't exist yet. It's still in the mystery. And so to try to define it now is actually just going to create a whole litany of attachments that then are going to make a sticky conversation or a moment of emotional uprising as much more having much more gravity to it mm -hmm. right it's like well if, if we if we're upset right now and if we don't figure this out then our whole future is ruined which is a trap that i think a lot of people fall into because they have a good thing they want it to last forever it's a beautiful desire but you can't build structures in a place that doesn't exist yet and i think we both kind of get that almost almost to a level of, of having teasing each other about it where it's like whoa 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 we don't do anything past 60 90 days that's, that's too much too much play we're, we're joking but you know for a while there it was a little bit of like a, a commitment phobia to talk about anything beyond 90 days and we and especially for the first six months i mean it was less jokey and actually more of a formula that worked for us right. um our love was powerful and potent and strong and our sex was amazing and we were scheduling trips when we didn't think that we were going to see each other for a month and then we we're like but i'm free in two weeks <laughs> <laughs> you want to just hang out for those next two weeks yeah. see each other again okay sure we'll do that sure. um oh yeah i can make a stop there on my way to so such and such we were both nomads at the beginning of our relationship too so that really this really worked well for both, but, of, both of us having maximum freedom and agency in our lives. And 30 to 60 days <laughs> felt like what was comfortable so that there wasn't an expectation created that then led to disappointment either in the other or internally. Right. And so it was really, it was a health check-in. Mm -hmm. um, I've done a handful of premarital counseling for couples that either consider themselves monogamous or they're in the exploration, but either way they're, you know, they're getting married and moving into that space. And it's cross-transferable, like it's cross-transferable to really allow there to be a generous interpretation with your partner to know that you are marrying them or committing to them in whatever way you're committing, attaching to them as they are right now, but that they're not going to continue to be that. Mm -hmm. 
and we can't read the future and we don't even, we don't know what we're going to want. So why would we put it on our partners to think that to like get pit, the immediate thing is to get pissed off at them for not being able to commit to something that they don't know about yet. And we don't know that about ourselves either. Like how much have you changed in the last five years of your life? The last in month. the last two, yeah, literally <laughs> the last month. <laughs> change your name, your show from commitment phobe to freedom file. Like oh. there is, there is, there's another side to this coin that I think a lot of people um, don't actually take the time to look at, or they look at it and they go, oh God, it's just, it's too scary. I can't go there, which I think is why a lot of people say no to trying open relating or say no to the conversations that could lead to it or try it and get burned once and then decide that this is poisonous. And, and for some people, it might be just not for them, of course, right? But I think a lot of people let the fear of the unknown and the fear of confronting all of the triggers that could come up, will come up on this spiritual path, mm -hmm. make them turn back mm -hmm. uh, into something more. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a lot of what we talk about with whether I'm coaching people around switching their career or um, navigating relationships in their mm -hmm. family or you know, personal dynamics. Moving to a new town. Right, right. Yeah. One of the things that um, that I really focus on is to allow yourself to be in the unknown, mm -hmm. like to be in the mystery of it. Trust the mystery. Mm -hmm. And and that, yeah, that you don't know what's going to happen. Right. So open relating really takes that, like it really turns the knob up because you, you have this false sense of security in a monogamous relationship where it's like, because the person said, they're committing or because the person said, I'll marry you, then you have your future set, right? Like there's certainty. It's kind of what happened with COVID, right? Like the pandemic happened and people were like, whoa, now nothing's certain. And it's like, nothing was ever certain. So, <laughs> exactly. Nothing was ever certain. So you asked, your original question was, how do we create safety in relationship? Safety comes from within. So creating safety in our relationship is a direct derivation of how safe each of us are letting ourselves feel in life. How safe it is to be alive, how safe it is to live in a world where a pandemic can happen, how safe it is to live in a world where other countries invade other countries. You know, like it's, it's, it's both as safe as you let yourself feel and it's not safe at all, right? And so there's a, there's a bit of embracing the reality that anything could happen tomorrow and everything that we know and love could change. You know, mm. Preferably not, but it's it's happened before, for goodness sake, both on individual levels and on a global level. Mm -hmm. Like if we've learned anything, it's that shit always changes. Right. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God. And so yes, well, it should. So let's embrace the flow rather than and like the, the flow of love, the flow of relating, rather than trying to structureize it into permanent form. I have this interesting conversation happening in my head from different times that I've gone deep with myself around the safety of concept, particularly yeah. over the last six months. And one is safety is created within. And so there's a lot of self-responsibility in that. It's very grounded. There's another voice that comes in that goes, there is no safety. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. then I can, you know, like, I can actually figure out what to do if both things are true. Mm. So Blake's talking about like this flow and this freedom and this openness. And I'm like, and I've got my suit of armor in the trunk of my pickup. <laughs> yeah. And then you have like, you know, one of the things that I love that Osho taught is that the only thing that's certain is dead. Right. So like 
there is no safety, but not in like a scary kind of way, in like a, as a matter of fact kind of way, right? Like, like guys, you're trying to hang on to all this certainty when nothing is certain. The only thing that is certain is like already dead. What I'm experiencing in the past months, like as I'm facing parts of myself and expressing my truth is that there was a, a lot of unsafety within from being scared of parts of myself, like being scared of certain feelings, being scared of expressing certain things. And the more that I've done that, the more grounded I've felt because yeah, the, the, it's like as within, so without, right? So that's what's been interesting that I have felt more safe within myself because of that. And then there's also a lot of physical things that we did in the training, one of which I connected to my womb and it felt so safe to imagine myself having a baby one day. Like there was just, yeah, it was like this, it was like this realization that I've been afraid of being pregnant all my life. And suddenly because I've done this, because I've stayed safe in what I thought was an unsafe situation, I could imagine myself, you know, doing what is like one of the scariest things to a human body. So yeah, there's, there's so much, yeah, like the relationship to body and relationship to our inner parts is so big, yeah, such a big part of that feeling safe within ourselves. Really want to acknowledge you for reaching that depth and touching places in yourself where you can have that reference point created because you can always go back there now. And I think that you're really capturing, I think what's been at the heart of some of our messaging here is that like from that more integrated place within you where all of your parts are accepted, allowed, loved, and invited to be a part of the, the tonight journey, the tonight show, right? Um, then, then from that integrated place, very little can actually hurt you. Very little can offend you or take your power or violate your boundaries. You have the power to basically live a safe life from that position. Well done, sister. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it, it really feels like if I if I've killed my identity, then there's nothing that threatens it. You know, if I if I constantly challenge my identity, then nothing can threaten it. Level, it's quite the initiation. Level two just called. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Well, let let's pivot a little bit to some 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 fun fun things that I wanted to talk to you guys about. Um, yeah, so so let's talk about reigniting the spark, keeping the flame alive in a relationship. That's something that that you know is spoken of a lot right now. Um, I think especially like, you know, we, we, everyone's talking a lot about how to find the relationship that's healthy. Now, how do you keep it healthy? Right. And how do you keep that flame alive? We've been, <laughs> you always go first. <laughs> We've been talking. I guess you always go first. Yeah, maybe that's how we keep it alive. Exactly. Um, <laughs> baby, huh? There's, um, I'm just going to set us up and you knock us down. Okay. Um, it's something that we've been talking about since the beginning of our relating. Like when we felt the spark and how profound and big it was, we named it like, wow, let's just talk about how awesome this is. You want to keep this, you know, it was being like in the curiosity and the question and the playfulness around it. Like before we hopped on today and we probably do this once a week or so, one or the other of us will look at each other and say, you want to fall in love again? And let ourselves be in whatever's going to open permission to swoon yeah like full <clears throat> permission to be in the romance and i think letting go of the fact that romance is cheesy is important 
because everyone that I know actually really loves romance. I've been involved with so many people that thought that romance was cheesy. I'm like, yeah, until you're swooning head over <laughs> heels for a situation or a person or um, so true. And that really speaks to like this obsession of like how to heal your attachment style, how to find the person that you're actually compatible with. Like, yeah, it's it's almost killing the romance a little bit. Sure, sure, it certainly can. Uh, I mean, earlier we spoke to this central point of really honoring each other's individual internal relationships has been a key to our health and success, I would say, and partly because it prevents us from becoming like hooked into each other uh, on a need level. So something that I would say is true about this connection is that we love each other deeply, but we don't need each other. And sorting for where need shows up in a, in a dynamic is a great place to focus your attention because anywhere that there's need, there's a power drain and a polarity like snuffing. Um, and then, then our relationships start to become dependent, even in little ways. Um, a better word maybe than dependent is outsourcing, right? Like one thing that we don't do is outsource our need fulfillment to each other we don't like right like we don't outsource our pleasure to each other solely to each other um we don't outsource like emotional support you know that's not just reliant on the other person um i think one of the big things that touches on this is that we stay current with each other so if there's okay. anything that is coming up for us with the other person we clear it like we basically name it speak it have an intentional conversation hold eye contact Move the energy if we need to. Yeah, and we're so current. We don't usually have things that have been pushed down under the surface. And I totally acknowledge that some people take more time than others to process. We do around certain things from time to time. Even if we haven't fully processed out from end to end what's up, I can say like, I'm feeling off today. Something feels like it's missing right now. I'm trying to find it. Maybe you can help me. This just happened earlier today. Yeah, we yeah. have a very short period of time in which you know, less than a week in which Blake arrived to our new house, we're unpacking stuff together. And then I get on a flight and leave for three and a half weeks. And so there's a lot of ground to cover actually in six or seven days. A lot of grounding to create in yeah. six or seven days. Yeah, like yeah. we acknowledge that a new foundation is established every time that we're back together and take time apart. So whether pe people are in a relationship that is long distance or they have multiple partners, so there's some space between it, or if you're living together on a regular basis, space is a really healthy thing to have and to create and to have independence. And then also to be really aware of how, how you come back together in relationship. What do you know that you need? What does your partner need? Where is there overlap in that? What's something that's important to have happen in the first 24 hours. And when mm -hmm. these desires are fulfilled, it's juicy and sexy. Like if I'm not, um, if I'm bogged down with a conversation that I know that we need to have, I'm probably going to be less present for our, our sex. Sure. Yeah. And maybe I won't even feel my pleasure as much as I might usually, but when I'm totally <laughs> clear, I have space for hours of like deep, beautiful connection and lovemaking that is going to only nurture us to fall more in love and to go deeper in our relationship mm -hmm. and to be expansive and creative sure. and it's, it's a really important point to emphasize remaining current with your beloved is huge. Because as long as you both really are in real time, know what's going on with each other, both both about your individual lives and about how you feel about each other and the relationship, then there's no spaces for resentment or toxicity or secrets or guesswork even to start being created. You know, if there's some subject that's too taboo that we can't 
really go there, then we're both just going to make up a story about what the other person thinks and feels about that. And then story can really fuck with you and then kind of create a corrosive energy in the mind and in our emotions, just on and on and on and on. Like staying current is huge. It's, it's important work to do. And if you need support with it, by all means, like find a coach or a therapist or somebody who you can, who can facilitate these conversations. Because it takes practice. <clears throat> mm -hmm. And back to what I and said, courage. like one person yeah. might be ready to do that work and the other person might not. I was laughing while you were sharing that because I'm thinking about a bit of radical transparency that we have. Um, <laughs> in, in, some, in some ways, like, I'm trying to think what the example was that just passed through my mind here as you were, as you were sharing. Mm -hmm. Even if I don't think that I really super did something shady and wrong, I will say something along the lines of like, oh no, babe, I feel like I manipulated something like a month ago. I had this like desire and this wish while I was self-pleasuring that we were gonna live together. And I feel like now I like, I, I'm like, I just need to say, I feel like I did weird magic and made this shit happen. And you know, a month before we talked about it and I haven't been transparent. And he's like, don't feel guilty. You're just a witch, baby. Okay, right. <laughs> ah, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so funny. That reminds me of times where like an Akashic record reader will be like, you're about to meet someone. And then I do, and then I don't say it to them for like a month. And I'm like, I knew I was going to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you want to go from here? I had something else, but I don't know if it's relevant. Well, first off, I wanted to mention that to be at the level where you're at, where in, in the sense of you don't need each other also is important to do a lot of work on yourselves, right? Absolutely. That yeah, comes from yeah. integration. That comes from? from? Integration as well. Like when you know down to your root that you will show up and get your own back and love yourself no matter what comes up, it's easy to be vulnerable, messy, even just like falling apart with a beloved, even though you might still feel some of those twinges of like, I don't want you to see me like this. You're going to love me less. Like if you're really okay within and the other person is too, it's, you're just not going to go there. You're not going to go to that place of, of judgment or fear. It's just like, you're being human. I love you. How, what do you need? How do you feel? Mm, yeah, that's so beautiful. Oh, I, I also had a question. Um, do you guys then believe that you could keep a spark alive between two people for like a decade or, you know, or, or is there, you know, that story of I've just had too much sex with you and now I'm bored of you. <laughs> well, I, this is one way, one reason that I believe that space can play into it mm -hmm. to have, um, I mean, a couple of things like not taking a situation for granted, like to be in gratitude, like have gratitude as a regular practice. Mm -hmm. So for anyone that's listening, that's like, wow, this feels like a lot of stuff to have to do or figure out before I can be in like a sparkly, healthy, happy relationship. A lot of it's probably already happening for people. You know, we're, and also can start right now in very small ways. I would say that someone can, can really integrate a gratitude practice in 30 days. So if I want to keep a spark alive with someone, if I think about the people that I've been best friends with for 15 plus years, even if we don't talk for six months, there's totally a spark that happens when we make plans and see each other again. Like those people that you can just fall back in rhythm mm -hmm. with, like there was no time at all. And so sometimes space may be necessary or it might be necessary to transition out of what you thought the relationship might look like. Like maybe it means not living together, you know, and then there's, and maybe there's some time and space and maybe you do see other people <clears throat> in that time. Um, but usually it's like, what needs to shift? Like, I think when the spark dies, it's about lack of transparency with self. 
Like where was there, where was I lying to myself about something? Where have I been taking? Suppressing what you really want. Mm -hmm, Suppressing what you want, maybe taking the situation for granted. And space usually is a pretty big opening. And that takes some delicate negotiation sometimes to say like, I love you so much that I want to take some space so that I can figure out what's next. And that doesn't always feel good. Mm-hmm. Usually it feels like shit. Until you've done it a few times and then you'll really get it into your body. Like, oh, some me time actually does, makes me feel so much more resourced to come and show up and, be, and from a place of generosity. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, a, you said, don't take anything for granted. I think that the, what goes along with that is don't create expectations for stuff that you haven't communicated about uh, or that you haven't formed agreements around. Um, it's like when we start taking things for granted or forming expectations of our beloved, we're putting like weight on them that they then have to like process through in order to meet us. But if you, you can keep it fresher by not doing those things, but also like really um, cultivating the things that, that were great early in a relationship. Like we spend a lot of time really acknowledging each other for the beautiful things that we do individually and together. And also like, the phrase like it's such an honor to be loved by you and to love you to be chosen by you is so true now it has been the whole time why would I stop saying it Mm -hmm. and just hearing those words and saying those words does a lot to like keep the field in this place of like this is not actually for granted like I'm still here on invitation and it's yes it's still a great they are consciously choosing me and they're choosing to be with me on my best of days and my you know and maybe on my worst of days they need to go for a hike (laughs) you don't have to stick it out here actually i'm in my shit like please by all means take care of yourself (laughs) real real quick plug i would say that the current bible for open relating uh is called is the book called more than two which is a which is a fantastic read and all the on the very last page i think it has the most poignant sentence of the whole book no no spoilers here it's just a great takeaway which is that if you gave the person you loved ultimate freedom to choose whatever and whomever they want and they choose you what could possibly be more secure and so like there's a bit of that built into the question you had a few minutes ago about how do you build safety in a relationship you recognize the reality the truth that she doesn't have to be here she could be with whomever she wants and believe me she's got offers Like (laughs) the fact that she's choosing to be here with me is as good as it gets in terms of me feeling secure about this relationship and vice versa, of course. But we are, we're always at choice. We're always here by each other's invitation, always here by consent. And and we can choose out, even if it's for a short period of time, just to like get clear. Mm -hmm. And we're high communicators without being really high into processing. Mm -hmm. Like we don't need to, to, again, I think that some of the processing is about sussing out if there's anything that's personal in there. Well, is this about me or not? You know, there's some like agenda in processing in, in being a high communicator is it's sharing, how do I feel? What do I need? And not, what do I need from you? But what do I need actually? Like, what am I bringing in from the universe? What am I, where am I setting my intentions this mm-hmm. new moon? Where am I being in like, you know, what's the next perhaps like educational tool that I'm leaning into. Like that might, that's some of the like, what do I need? Mm. Well, what I need is to go deeper into my work around such and such and such. And they can, you know, celebrate that with me. Like my partners can celebrate what I need and not have it feel like a burden to them. It's an expansion on the self-responsibility concept, right? Um, Like where a lot of 
processing happens in my experience is in trying to assign percentages of responsibility or more accurately percentages of blame right like okay we're both upset but you fucked up a little bit more than i did and and i'm gonna hold on to that right and so we're trying to divvy up this blame pie it's right. like why can't you just say i'm right for once right so <laughs> you're right you're, you're right, right. <laughs> <laughs> like saying things like you're right when your partner makes a good point saying things like that makes sense you know, when they're just expressing their truth and not selecting, provoking and distorting the details that irk you and staying out of the good, bad, right, wrong. You know, if your partner does something that you don't like, you can take self-responsibility and just be like, I don't really like that that happened. Like, I don't, I don't really like that you did that, but it doesn't mean like you can't do that anymore. It doesn't mean you're a fucked up person for doing it. It doesn't mean I'm going to take my love away. It's just, I don't really like that. And I try to make it even less personalized than that mm -hmm. and say like, I'm feeling, I'm, I'm feeling on edge after this interaction that just occurred in the living room. So Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> That's so good. I'm hearing a lot of like, we're on the same team, mm. you know, so, of that and not even, you know, and I'm on your team, even if you're across the world. I'm going to hype you from over here. I'm going to sure. be like sharing your new poem mm. that you wrote. <laughs> I, lo I, love, I love this though, because like in the moments where we have had legitimate friction, where it's like, whoa, we're not agreeing right now. The, the, it starts to get noisy. We both lean toward and give each other really generous assumptions. And like, I, I love you so much. Like whatever's upsetting us right now, like it's going to be okay. Like there's a, there's a cooperative let's get to a resolution together kind of energy rather than as soon as the hackles go up, then it's dog against dog. It's right. Like, oh, there. Yeah. Like there's a point in my journey where I realize I've been competing with every single person that I'm dating. Like it's actually been a, who can be right? Like who can one up each other here? You want to be right? Or do you want to be in, in, love. in love and at peace? Yeah. Ah, well, I'm going to ask you guys one more question, even though I feel like this is such a good point to end on. But I personally want to know if there are people who are looking to get into open relating, what does the conversation look like to to understand, like, what are you creating together and what is it going to look like? This is a it's a pretty big answer because I think yeah. a lot of it. And what's the work that you've done already? What does the communication currently look like in relating? So I think I can answer it from maybe two different sides. I've got, I've got two this. as well, go for it. Um, so I was gonna say one is if you're dating and like dating multiple people and looking to come into your next relationship, it can be a conversation um, right off the bat. I'd say like bringing it up sooner than later. Like for instance, it would look like this, you know, first date mm -hmm. and yes, first date for sure. Um, I've been exploring open relating. I've been reading some books. I'm listening to some podcasts about this and it feels like something that I'm leaning to. And um, can I share with you a couple of the reasons why this is interesting to me right now? And so first date, like you haven't grown a lot of the attachments. It's pre-intimacy. There aren't, you know, maybe chemicals are firing because you're into each other and you've been getting hot through some, you know, texting like, like or however. Right, but there isn't like a deep level of attachment. The other is if you're already in a relationship, and I think this is where sometimes people find that it's trickier because you're actually working with all of the history that has brought you and your partner up to this point. And getting first really clear on why do I desire to be opening this conversation? What am I really looking for? And some of this, again, like working with a coach or a therapist that is um, 
polysensitive, if not like polyinformed, I think is really important. And also being able to look at what are the traumas that I might be encountering in relationships in general that are, is there anything else that's informing me in making this? Mm. I'm going to do one more book plug because I feel like it's, get helps people to answer this question, which is called Poly Secure mm -hmm. by Jessica Fern. Really touches on attachment styles and looks at how to navigate challenging conversations and communication with self, with other, in any type of relationship form, and how to create healthy patterns of attachment. Yeah, yeah I should, I should, you know, yeah, just, this is the, Jessica, this is the shout out to you. Yeah. Twenty five dollars now for that for that plug. That's great. Love to give her a call. Um, when you first asked the question, my my embodied response was like, "Whoo! Like, where do we begin?" <laughs> right. And because there's so many deep, like existential questions to ask yourself around this, you know, building off this idea that it is a spiritual path, there are so many different ways to ask yourself, like, well, how do I feel about love? How do I feel about infidelity? How do I feel about what I want the end of my life to look like? I mean, so many different pieces that get tied into relationships. So more, more than two at the end of every chapter has questions to ask yourself. Uh, or questions to ask your partner. And they're great writing prompts and conversation prompts. There's probably 150 questions in that book. I recommend you do them all. Brianna touched on it in passing, but having a coach or a therapist or a, a group course or something like that that really unpacks the issues that everybody faces, jealousy, calendar sharing, uh, you know, how do we negotiate the time thing? What do we do with our children involved? How do we communicate about this to our friends and family? I mean, it, that kind of that kind of support either directly from teachers or coaches mm -hmm. or from a community of people all trying the same radical thing goes a long way so this takes us back to long game just to say like saying yes to it being a long game and not something that needs to happen right away because i have the hots for my sure co-worker yeah move move slow, slow. Move yeah slow. and i'm guessing like it's also a question of like, what does it mean to be in love with someone, right? What do you share with them that you don't share with others? Like we can do a whole podcast on that. Yeah. Oh man, I, I that's an invitation for me. Yes. <laughs> to kind of tie it up though, I would say to any of your listeners, like don't assume that the conversation is over ever in terms of like what really makes you tick, what you really want, how you really feel about love and relationship and connection and safety. I mean, this is the programming that we received first for the first 18 months of our life. It was all, am I safe? Am I loved? Do I have connection? That's it. And so when you're, when you're probing at those really old, old, old codes, it does take time to um, work your way into a, an embodied alignment with the, like, the mental values that polyamory presents or open relating presents. Um, the patience helps mm -hmm. like take one baby step, <clears throat> give it time for everybody involved to like integrate it, have their feelings, express them, clear it, then try another step. And you, something was said in passing earlier that I wanted to come back to that for a lot of people, when they imagine their partner, like being loved by someone else or having sex with somebody else, the thought of it scares the shit out of them. Their imagination scares the shit out of them. Um, but the easiest way or the most effective way to really get over that is to watch it happen and then talk about your feelings afterward. Right. As anything, <laughs> and, right? Yeah. As with yeah. anything, expose yourself to it and then have a conversation about it. Mm -hmm. don't, don't think that your imagination is automatically going to 
get it right because it's being informed by the, all the worst things that have ever happened to you. So you're projecting those out into this potentially beautiful scenario. And There's one piece that I would love to bring in here before we wrap up um, that wasn't mentioned about how to keep the spark alive, but that I think connects back to so many of the different segments that we've talked about, which is trust. Mm -hmm. One question that I hear a lot from clients and students is, well, what if I don't trust my partner? So, you know, what do we do with that? I mean, if being in relationship is always a choice, if I don't trust someone, I have a couple of options. Like one is to actually choose into trust based on who they are now, not who they were. Another is to do a, like a trust reset. Like, what do you need in order to establish trust here? Like, and are you actually open to trusting them again? If for whatever reason, like sometimes people don't do anything wrong and we still don't trust them. Like we don't trust them just based on the fact that like we don't trust humans. That's the real thing. Um, and the other one is to really choose trust, like to really choose it. So like a dynamic that we have in our relating that I, that I think was instilled pretty early is that we both really got to choose into trusting, trusting that the other person is being current with us, trusting- that they mean what they say. That they mean what they say, trusting their um, making, like trusting like, okay, great. So you're, you know, you want to have five other partners and I get to trust that you are making choices that align with your truth around that. And that you care enough about this dynamic, that it's not going to be something that would like tragically threaten it, which I can't really think of anything that would tragically threaten, but certainly we've come up against this in some sticky places of like, yeah, can I trust that you're going to be who you say that you want to be in the world? Mm -hmm. Whether I'm around or not, and certainly a, like a big killer of the spark is that like, I'm going to monitor your decision-making. So I have zero desire to do that. And that helps to keep the spark alive also. Like, I'm not trying to be anyone's like, you know, yeah, exactly. You know, if we haven't eaten anything, if we haven't eaten today and it's noon, it's not going to be like, you know, there's not going to be a breakdown around trust. It's like, babe, I'm just going to make you lunch. Like, you know, you're going off for a week and we're both going to be out of touch. We're going to be out of service. And there's um, potential of connecting with other beloveds, whether that's lovers or something deeper. Can I trust that you're going to be at least in communication with me if you're not going to want to come home ever again? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. You know, I like so much. Yeah. Just so much comes up for me in hearing you say that. Number one. I met, I met up with someone before the training, before ISTA, who is a coach and was telling me that when he works with clients, he asks them, he asks them to trust him more than they trust themselves. And there were many times in this training that I trusted you guys more than I trusted myself. And that was so powerful. Yeah. And like, so I really see the impact of that, that it's such a moment of surrender of like, really like, like seeing the best in people and trusting in their in their expertise and what they're saying and, and that you're going to be okay and that you can also check like you know you, you guys would say it like you can opt out whenever you want so it's also trusting that i can opt out as in a relationship that you can opt out and then the other thing is that as you guys know something that i was working through is dissociating and i led an event last week I was I was completely numb the entire time, like so dissociated. And when I when I talked about it afterwards, I was thinking back to hearing reflections from these women being like, that was amazing. And I couldn't feel them. I couldn't feel them. And I was like, well, how do I how would I know they're telling the truth if I can't feel them? And then I was like, 
wow, I, I'm not trusting them. Like it's as if I'm relying on my feelings and, and how well I can feel into any situation and anyone to really trust. So that was also like a moment of like, I have to choose trust sometimes and, and not make it so dependable on how I'm feeling. Yeah. Beautiful. There's a lot of courage in there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of courage. And, uh, you know, the line that like the only time that you can be brave is when you're afraid wow. comes up a lot. Oh, it's a Game of Thrones original. You like that one? <laughs> so good. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> wow. Sometimes we keep the spark alive by just pretending that we're dragons. So, yeah, you know, that, just that wanted to make too. sure we got that on record. So, yes. And lots of sex. Just <laughs> one, last, one last tip for the show. Have yeah, I love it. Lot. Have lots of sex. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Actually, like, put your bodies together and yeah. see what's, what's alive and occurring there. Make time and space for that. Even if it doesn't look like intercourse, just like the physical, somatic, naked, human, mammal thing goes a long way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. I'm all juiced up from this conversation. Mm. Thank you so much. Um, I would love for my listeners to hear what you guys um, are offering or what they can get in touch with you for. Yeah, absolutely. So probably the best way to do that is through either of our websites. Um, I have a periodic mailing list and really like once or twice a month to keep people updated on what events are coming up. My website is www.briannacrabier.com. You can spell my name appropriately based on what it says right there in the description because <laughs> that can be a mouthful. Totally. And my website's currently under construction, um, but you can find me on Facebook. All my work is there. Same with Instagram. My, the spelling of my last name is a little tricky, but also will be available in the comments. Um, and if anything that we have said really lit you up, really inspired you to be like, this is the conversation I want to be having, we are available for joint and private coaching. So mm-hmm. just send us a DM. Right. Both um, virtually and in person. We, we travel quite a bit together and we're based in Austin, Texas. Um, which is a really great place to come for a visit right around April. (laughs) (laughs) Some like subliminal, some subliminal message there. (laughs) For coaching or hands-on work. We're available for all of it uh, together and individually. Beautiful. Thank you so much. So good to be with you tonight. Love you, sister. Hey you, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Commitment Phobe. If you like what you heard, make sure to share with your friends, your lovers, your ex-lovers, anyone that you think could benefit from having a conversation like this one. And it would be super helpful if you subscribed and left a five-star rating on iTunes to make sure that this podcast gets spread around to as many listeners as possible. And we can start changing the conversation that we have around intimacy and relationships. If you want to find out more information about what I do as a women's coach and some of my other projects that I'm working on, you can find my information in the bio of this episode, or you can reach out to me directly on Instagram and shoot me any questions that you have. See you next time.